This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with the support of Il Morso. Il Morso makes bite-sized organic coffee bars. It's a coffee shortcut. They're loaded with flavor and the caffeine of a single espresso. So you're riding the bus or the subway heading out for a fun night, and you really want some coffee to cast off the drag of a long day. But you're a law-abiding citizen. You know you can't take a cup of coffee on the bus or the train. Not to mention you'll have to pee and you'll be stuck on there. Lucky for you, you have a delicious mocha coffee bite in your bag. You even have a coffee and cream one for your friend, because they're small and easy to carry, and you're nice like that. And the bus driver will never know. Try eating your coffee instead of drinking it. Go to ilmorso.com, that's I-L-M-O-R-S-O.com, and enter the promo code NOCTURNE for $10 off a month's supply. You can also find a link at our website. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. A while back, I went to dinner at my friend Dave's house. Actually, Dave is not his real name. Names throughout this episode have been changed to protect the privacy of the people involved. You'll get why soon. Anyway, Dave and I have known each other for years. We travel in similar circles, but we're not super close. This was the first time I'd been to his home, and he and his family had recently moved into a big, beautiful house in Berkeley. We were getting the full tour. The house has tons of character. It's heated entirely by wood stoves, which is extra amazing since there are three stories and lots of rooms. Early on, they'd shown us their bedroom and the kids' rooms, and when we got to the top floor and to what looked like yet another bedroom, his wife Sue said, this is Dave's room. I remember thinking, huh? But not wanting to ask what the deal was. There were tons of questions swirling around in my mind, and looking back, I'm sort of embarrassed about them. I wondered, was their relationship okay? Did they have some kind of alternative lifestyle? I didn't ask, it seemed rude. Until I started reading about how many couples get creative with their sleeping arrangements, for all sorts of reasons. And yeah, I occasionally found myself or my partner heading to another room to catch up on much-needed sleep. So I got in touch with Dave and Sue and nervously and nosily pried into their personal lives. Dave and Sue have known each other since college. They're in their 40s now, and they have two kids. It turns out that Dave sleeps in the upstairs room almost every night for at least some portion of the night. I remember we could happily sleep together in a single bed back in college in a dorm room. I think as you get older... Um, your sleep requirements change and your physical requirements around sleep change. Honestly, probably the very start of it all was when we had the baby, our first child. And obviously that's disrupting to sleep in general. He would snore and wake me up and I was desperate. I was so tired from the child that I just really couldn't handle any additional sleep disruption. So I'd send him out. Eventually the kids got older and worn up during the night. Also, Dave lost some weight and stopped snoring, so Sue wasn't disturbed. But then, Dave started having insomnia. I started having this thing where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just be alert. The classic nighttime thoughts intruded into sleep. They're, they're generally um, a to-do list. You know, just sort of rehashing the, the details of what needs to get done. 
also, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Am I preparing for this larger task, saving money for retirement, blah, blah, blah. Dave discovered that there was only one way to consistently get back to sleep. I would need to read, which necessitated me going into another room because I couldn't turn on a light and read because it would, it would disturb her. I wake really easily, like really easily. He just, you know, he gets up to go to the bathroom, I'll wake up. You know, I knew well enough to know that that was not going to work to turn on a light and that would she'd wake up and be like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you turning on a light? It's the middle of the night, you know? So my, uh, my best move was to get up as quietly as possible and not wake her. And when we were living in a, another house at, where I didn't have another room, I would go into the living room and lie on the sofa. Luckily, we have a house now that has more space. So, you know, when I, when I showed you my room, that was, it's sort of my office, but it also happens to have a double bed in it. So it becomes our de facto guest room, which is a problem because I get used to going there. And then when we have company and they're staying there, I have to find another place to go. So how it works is that Dave starts out in bed with Sue. He reads to fall asleep. And then at some point, he wakes up and relocates to... My insomnia lounge. It's evolved to the point where that happens 85, 90% of the time, that at some point he leaves during the night so as not to disturb me so he can go read. We've figured out a rhythm that works, basically, but it does require having a whole separate room with a whole separate bed. That whole separate room that confused me when I first saw it makes a lot of sense in the context of a busy life with kids and work and everything else. The ability for me to get six or seven hours of sleep, even if it is broken up, means that I'm happy er and productive er, <laughs> more productive and um, functional day to day. And, you know, there's kids to raise, a house to keep up, a business to run. I need sleep and this is how I can get it. And if he doesn't get it? Terrible. I'm irritable, I can't focus. It's just, a, it's a mess. My temper's shorter. I'm less fun to be around. But there is a price to pay for a sound night of sleep. When I wake up alone in my room, sometimes it's wonderful because I know that I'm sleeping and I know that I'm going to be uninterrupted. But when I wake up and I'm alone, sometimes um, there is a moment of panic of what am I doing here? Why isn't there somebody next to me? You know, did I abandon them or did they abandon me? <laughs> what happened here? I'm alone. You know, why is this? Why is this? And Sue has her own feelings about the nighttime separation. It was and still is a point of contention for her. She would love it if I were there when she woke up in the morning. She, she is not entirely happy with it, I have to say, to the point where she bought me a reading light and I've been experimenting with that. But I think even that the little amount of light from that is not working for her. Her main sadness around this is that we have so little time together during the day. We're just like zipping around and nighttime and early morning, that time when you're sort of skirting sleep, but you know that you're next to another person that you love. I think that's very recharging for her. It's what makes her feel connected to me and still married to me and, and um, not just a 
logistical way. And when she wakes up in the morning and I'm gone, I think we all have that little moment of panic when that happens to us, where we wake up and we're alone and we're like, what happened to the other person? What happened to the person that should be here? And it's weird because it can feed your dreams too and it can create abandonment themes in your dreams, I think. I do think it's time lost from being together. I do wish that our lives were not so busy and we could sleep together, not the whole time. I don't feel this desperate need for that, but waking up together is really special. I really love waking up together. The big question that comes up around sleeping in separate beds is how it affects physical and emotional intimacy in a relationship. Our primary love nest <laughs> is our, our, our main bedroom. And if anything is to have happened, it will have happened before I get up and go. Now that is a big if these days. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an if and it's a when. I don't think that there's a, an issue around location-wise. We've also tended to try and um, make love during the day when we get opportunities and not even think about that at night because it's just, we're too tired. But I think if you asked her, she might, going back to the issue of her feeling sad sometimes about not waking up with me, I think that can have an effect upon um, the larger intimacy of a relationship, which of course has repercussions for uh, physical intimacy, very much so. If she's not feeling connected to me in a consistent way, it will break up the ability to connect physically. Of course, that being said, there are other things that have, a, I think, a much bigger impact on, on whether people can be physically intimate after having known each other for 30 years. Overall sense of trust, love, understanding, respect, and chemical, libido, and all of these things come together. So yes, while I think that the physical arrangement of where we sleep does play in, it probably has a smaller impact than some of these other relationship factors. Dave and Sue make it a point to nurture the intimacy in their relationship, even though they wake up alone in their respective beds. So I have Wednesdays off, so sometimes we, if he's not too busy, we have a date on Wednesday mornings and we go lie in bed together. <laughs> you know, or we could take a walk together or we, or we you know, whatever. Um, so we make a little bit more of an effort. And we do read in bed together at night. So even if I know he's going to leave, um, unless we're, one of us is really exhausted, we always lie in bed and read together for a while. We never hang out in the same bed at all. That'd be terrible. That would be bad. That would be very bad indeed. Ultimately, Dave and Sue are being pragmatic and doing what works. They don't see their sleeping arrangements as being indicative of the state of their relationship. To me, it doesn't reflect necessarily on, on a dysfunctional marriage at all. It's a little sad. I don't think our biological clocks align very well at this point. But I don't feel like the primary problem is our relationship causing this. I feel like it's the stage in life that we're at and our natural rhythms is causing it. And I think it probably will align better later on down the line. You know, it could be that once our kids are older, we'll realign. It's entirely possible. I think as long as we pay attention to making sure that we find that time in some way, whether it's sleeping together or taking a hike together, I mean, it's not necessarily completely predicated on sleeping together at the same time in the same bed. It's an additional thing that could lead to us falling apart, along with working hard, along with having kids, along with everything else. But it's not like the thing that's going to make that happen.
Some surveys suggest that up to a quarter of couples sleep in separate beds. And the practice, contrary to initial impressions, can often help a relationship by reducing resentment about disturbed sleep, not to mention just keeping both partners sane. Dave and Sue have both experienced the need to sleep alone. And while they miss things about sharing a bed all night, the arrangement seems tolerable to both of them. This is not the case for another couple I spoke to. Brooke and Bob have been struggling for years to find a solution to what seems like an insurmountable sleep impasse. When I first met Bob um, and we started hanging out and pretty soon he was spending nights, right from the beginning I noticed that he snored. I didn't really feel like maybe it would be too big a deal. I was, I noticed it, I thought, wow, he really snores. But at the time I was 26 years old and I have always had a really great sleeping history. I mean, all through my childhood, all through college, all through my early 20s, I felt like I could sleep through anything and everything. I was a really heavy sleeper. Despite being a great sleeper, Bob's snoring was posing a challenge for Brooke. She started small. Pretty much the first thing I started doing was sleeping with earplugs um, because it helped. It didn't take it away because even with really good foam earplugs, it doesn't, you can hear people snoring right through it, but it definitely helps. Brooke stuck with the earplugs, but she's a problem solver. So she set out to solve the problem of Bob's snoring at the source. I thought that maybe I could train him out of it. That was my first thought because, you know, people can train themselves to skip a heartbeat. Like maybe I can train his body to not snore. And so I came up with this plan that he would always fall asleep really quickly after we went to bed and then he would start snoring immediately. So I would poke him really gently just enough to keep almost waking him up thinking if I did this every night, his body would learn not to snore. So I was doing it very diligently, but not really getting anywhere. And I do remember one point that I poked him a little too hard. Now, mind you, this was after about six trials of poking, you know, trying to fall asleep, he snore again, poking, try to fall asleep. I poked him and all of a sudden he just leapt out of bed and started screaming at me. I was like, whoops, oh my God, I think I poked too hard. After that, Brooke abandoned the poking as sleep training method. Honestly, what happened at that point, because I was a pretty good sleeper, is eventually I would just fall asleep anyway, or I'd get him to roll over and maybe he wouldn't snore the whole night. And, and, and it would be fine. It was mostly the falling asleep part that was hard. I don't remember being overly distressed by it until we had children. It started with the birth of Rhoda's child. So fast forward seven or eight years into our relationship, we had gotten married. We knew that we wanted children. I got pregnant. We had a, a beautiful um, baby girl. And with pregnancy and having a new baby, there's, there is no good sleep. Having children does certainly disrupt your, your sleep situation. They're just, even if you have a quote-unquote good baby who sleeps for you, you're not getting a lot of sleep. And so I was getting up, you know, two, three times during the night with our newborn baby and then trying to come back to bed and noticing that Bob's snoring was also waking me up at this point because I had mommy ears on. 
and you're you're already on high alert, like trying to listen, like, is your is your baby okay? Is your baby breathing? Is your baby crying? And then every noise that my husband would make, I would wake up and I thought, I can't, I can't possibly be getting up this many times a night for the baby and then also being woken up by Bob. I can't take it. So I talked with him about getting an evaluation at that point, um, like a medical sleep study. Hey, what do you think about this? Because I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. So he did. My wife recorded my snoring and it sounded pretty intense. You know, it's pretty loud and um, uh, it's got to be annoying. We had to figure out how to do something about this. So I had a, what I like to refer to as a snorectomy. I, I actually, I forget what the technical term for it is, but I did go through a sleep study. That was a very, very annoying process. What I did have was, I've known I've had a deviated septum for a while. I had that fixed. And then I had what's called a uvulectomy, which, which is the cute little thing that hangs down in the back of your throat. That's gone. And then I had what I can only refer to as a scraping of the roof of the mouth. So all three of those were done simultaneously. It's horrible. On top of that, somehow the, the message about what meds to take got messed up and I, I didn't sleep the whole night and I was in horrific pain. It was a major surgery. It was really hard for him, um, very painful, but all of a sudden he started to sleep like a rock and he didn't snore anymore. And I was like, hallelujah, this is it. Like, yay, we won. Like, this is great. What they don't tell you about the surgery is, yeah, well, it, it, it's not permanent. It only lasted about five or six years. And slowly, there was this slow creep back to him snoring again. And that's when the more overt sleeping apart began. Every move, every situation, every snore, everything was now kind of triggering my wife to kind of wake up and, you know, poke me or roll me over or something like that. Um, and that's when it just became, she felt it was necessary for her to start sleeping somewhere else. Brooke came to this decision after going away to a conference for a few days, where she shared a room with a woman who made no sounds at night. Like no noise whatsoever. And... I remember waking up around midnight, like almost by habit, and thinking, it's really quiet in here, and then going back to sleep. And I think that happened the second night, too. And then by the third night, I slept. I slept like a rock. And on the fourth night, I slept like a rock. And then I realized, I'm not sleeping at home anymore, which was making me depressed and crazy. And I thought, I can't, I need to get sleep. When Brooke came home, she started sleeping in the guest room from time to time. Fairly quickly, I just pretty much would spend every night in, in that bed. In the morning, I would get up and um, kind of crawl back into bed with my husband just so that we had that snuggle time and we had some of that ability to you know, wake up together and, and, have, and have that time together. So it worked well in the sense that I got much better sleep, but it, it definitely was less intimate. 
but we have a small house. I was just a couple rooms away and it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel burdensome. It did I don't think it felt really bad. For those lucky enough to have it, the guest room is a common solution for tired people with snoring partners. But that solution didn't last. Their two daughters shared a room and their older daughter, who liked to sleep late in the morning, was enduring her own aggravation at the hands of her early rising younger sister. She came and begged me for her own room and I couldn't really say no. So at that point, I lost my sleeping space. I thought, well, I'll just give it a try. I'll try moving back in with Bob and then see how that goes. So I, I tried and it just didn't go well because when I'm sleep deprived, I can't function. When I am sleep deprived, it feels like I'm trying to move through water or fog. Like I'm there, but everything is slower. I get more tearful. I definitely feel more depressed. I just don't feel like I have that extra zip or energy or sharpness that I usually feel when I'm well rested. So I just feel like I'm dragging myself through everything I need to do. And I don't feel like my best self. And if it goes on longer than two, three days, I just feel almost like I, like I want to give up. During this time when the third bedroom was no longer an option, Brooke was going through some other sleep disturbing stuff as well. She was dealing with the serious illness of a parent at the same time that she was starting menopause, which is well known to frequently wreak havoc with sleep. That was when, out of desperation, Brooke headed to the basement. When we moved into our house, our basement was not finished. It was like a cement floor and cement walls. There was nothing really down there. And so my husband had actually taken about a third of the basement and finished it off so it has you know, drywall on the walls and a real ceiling and carpet and it looks nice, but there are no windows and there's no heat. There was a mattress down there that we turned into kind of a trampoline for the girls. And so that had just been there forever. And I was like, oh my God, I could just, I could sleep on that mattress. I was just feeling so desperate that I grabbed a sleeping bag and brought it out of the basement and said, I don't care, I'm just gonna crash here. And so that just sort of stuck for a long time. I was like, cause I was finally sleeping again. And I was like, I can sleep here. But the shine of the basement eventually wore off. And then I, and then I just started getting pro- aggressively more depressed because I was sleeping in the basement on a mattress on the floor in a sleeping bag. I was like, I can't, this is not sustainable. Like, what am I doing? Like, this feels horrible. It does feel a bit like a dungeon. (laughs) It's cold. It felt terrible. I'm like, oh my God, I'm 40 something years old and I'm sleeping in my basement on the floor in a sleeping bag. Like, what am I doing? It just felt bad. And I wasn't doing that by choice. I was doing that out of sheer desperation. Again, Brooke realized that she had to make a change. Sleeping in a sleeping bag on a bare mattress in a cold, airless basement was not going to be sustainable for her mental health. It was time to do a little redecorating. 
she raised the bed up off the floor and put proper bedding on it. That was huge. And it meant, even though I'm in the basement, I'm now in a bed. So that just was great, although it was actually a very, very sad moment for my husband. He got extremely distressed when I did that because he's like, so you're never coming back to bed with me? I find it to be uh, horrible. Um, I guess I'm using that word a lot today, horrific and horrible, but I just find it to be, it's really, to me, it's really damaged the relationship. And um, I do get it, but I just feel like this loss of intimacy, it's, its I mean, it's a proximity thing, right? There, there is something to, you know, feeling the person next to you breathing. I mean, every night we do try and spend at least a few minutes together. Probably between 8.30 and 9.15, somewhere in there, I try to lay down in my, in my husband's bedroom. I try to just lay down with him and have that pillow talk time. Just the sort of, hey, how are you? How'd your day go? We cuddle. We try to have that intimate time that you try to have right before you go to sleep with your partner. And I just get up afterwards and then go to a different bed. It's just like, you know, good night and we go off to our separate chambers. In the morning, the early morning, I will try to sneak up and finish sleeping with him. But I think for him, just not having me there every night, all night, has been a real blow. So I, I think that we try, but I think that there is an, a sort of central essence that is lost when you're not next to somebody all night. And I think both of us really miss that. You know, I can't, I can't, if I have a bad dream, you know, no one's there. I don't, I don't have bad dreams or nightmares too often, but you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, if you roll over, there's, there's no one there. Bob's not alone in feeling this loss. While Brooke has gained sleep, she grieves what's gone. When I had my own space to sleep in, and I knew that I could get good sleep, there was definitely a sense of relief, but there was also a really big mourning period that I went through around not being next to my husband anymore. Because I'm a cuddly person, I like that. I like touch, I like snuggling and spooning, and I really liked like, oh, if I have a nightmare and it's two o'clock in the morning and you roll over and there's your husband and you feel safe and you feel warm and protected and together. And so not sleeping together was very distressing to me too. It did not feel like a choice. It felt like a necessity from, for my sanity, but it just took a big toll on me as well emotionally. The basement wasn't the end of Brooke's quest for sleep and mental health. She and her family live in a beautiful rural area with harsh winters. Summertime brought a new challenge and a new solution. So after some time of living, you know, in the basement at night, summer would roll around and there would be light and bird song and fresh air and all of this beauty going on. And I felt like I couldn't access any of that from my basement sleeping space. And that started to really distress me. And so I 
talked to my husband about doing something to get me out of the basement. I'm like, I can't, you know what? I, I can't take this anymore. It's not where I want to be. I, and I do feel like an outcast down there. Brooke and Bob entertained the idea of remodeling their house to add another bedroom, but that turned out to be too expensive. So instead, they found a company nearby that makes tiny, affordable cottages and decided to buy one and place it beside their main house. It wasn't a perfect option because where we live, it's really too cold. I didn't want to be in a, another space that I had to heat and worry about getting there and back in deep snow. But for the spring, summer, and fall, like a three-quarter season, we decided to buy a cabin. And it's the cutest thing. It's, it's a 12 by 12 square with a little front porch and little peaked roof lines around on each of the edges. Um, it's cozy and it's insulated and it has electricity and a little space heater and it is not a shed. It is a cottage. It's practically, if it had a bathroom, it'd be its own house. So we got this cabin and I spent a good deal of time sleeping in it last summer and it was absolutely wonderful. One of the beautiful unintended consequences of this journey has been, you know, being in that cabin, I feel so much closer to nature because I'm outside almost every night. Even if it's just walking to the cabin at night, there are little fireflies from June right through August and September, and they're just everywhere. They are lighting and sparking in the fields and it's so beautiful along with the starlight it's it's magical really magical on one hand and devastating on the other for bob the arrival of the cabin brought up the same feelings of loss and upset that he experienced when brooke made a real bed in the basement only 10 times worse I actually thought when the cabin was coming up the hill that he might actually throw up. And he said he didn't even think that that was going to happen. But it's like psychologically, you're that much further away from the person you're supposed to be sleeping next to. And so that part was, for him, it was really bad. For me, when I'm in the cabin in the bed where I've positioned it, there's a window where I can see his window. So I can see his bedroom window and I have my little light on and he has his little light on. And we can we can call each other on our cell phones or text, you know, if we need to. In a way, I almost feel more connected because I am above ground and the windows are open and the air's coming in and the night sounds are coming in and I just feel like it's glorious. So I'm so much happier there than in the basement. And then I can look out and see his bedroom window and feel some sense of connection. In the spring, Bob plants a big, beautiful garden. And my bed is facing, so that's where I look out and I'm looking right at the garden. And a lot of times in the summer, the first thing he does is get up and check the garden. So I may not even be out of bed yet and I can watch him go over and start watering his plants and <laughs> that makes me feel closer to him than if I were in the basement being in the dark totally oblivious to that. 
And then he'll come and I'll be like, I'm awake, you can come visit. <laughs> and, then he can, you know, he can, and he can come see me in the morning too. And it's, it's wonderful because in the summer months, the sun rises at around 4.30 where we live. So the light's coming up really early and it's absolutely glorious out. That seems like a good place to end the story, right? There's a happy ending with a garden and a sunrise. Brooke solved a big problem in a way that some people might think is kind of extreme, but many of us can probably relate to it more than we let on. When it comes to a choice between sleep and pretty much anything else, at some point, it's an issue of survival. And hard choices like that often have fallout. In the case of Bob and Brooke's story, the ending is yet to be written. I honestly don't know. I, I really, at this point, don't have much hopes of ever reacquiring, you know, sleeping together. I, don't, I, I just, I just don't know that that's going to happen. I hate to put a forever on anything because things change, but at the same time, I think to myself, how am I ever going to overcome not getting sleep? Like that's only supposed to get worse as you get older. So I guess I feel like we need to come to some happy. Like we need to come to some acceptance that this is how it has to be if I'm gonna get any sleep. That acceptance has been a challenge in more ways than one. As you might imagine, it's also involved coming to terms with what other people might think. In the beginning, I felt a lot of shame around it and a lot of oh my God, nobody can know that this is happening. And also huge shame that I was sleeping in the basement. That just felt like people will judge this and think that I'm nuts and that this is so dysfunctional and wrong and they would never do it. And I, and I really felt like it was this huge, big secret. Brooke is sleeping at night and she and Bob are trying their best to make it work around the edges. In the end, that's all any of us can really do. And maybe let each other in on the big secret. The pieces don't all fit together. The picture is rarely perfect. I just tell people, I mean, if you're at all close to me, my friends, I don't announce it to strangers, but for friends, I just say, yep, this is what's happening and this is why, because I want to take the shame out of it because I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. And I want people to talk about it more because it shouldn't have to be a shameful thing to just want to get a good night's sleep. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. You can find more information about the music in this episode at nocturnepodcast.org. If you like what you hear, rate us and write a review on iTunes. Also, please support Nocturne on Patreon or PayPal. You can find easy links to do that at our website. Thanks to Il Morso for their support of Nocturne. Get some tasty coffee bites at ilmorso.com and use the promo code Nocturne. Nocturne is a proud founding member of The Herd, a collective of fantastic storytelling podcasts from around North America. 
Check out all the shows at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening.